Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for the day, the opportunity to come and learn. Lord, I pray that the learning is not of men, but that your spirit would have sway in our hearts and minds, that you would come between me and these people and you would teach them that I might be a vessel that you could use, that they might be prepared to receive a message from you. Lord, I know that oftentimes we don't think about these things as being uh, spiritual activities or endeavors, but you have told us that this is where you walked with Adam and Eve and you taught them in the cool of the day. Lord, we want to come and meet you there. We want to understand how to learn from you, how to interpret the parables that you set forth that we might have a right understanding of what happens in the garden based on those things. We know that the world has a lot of science and a lot of learning that they put forth as truth that we need to have your truth and be able to discern clearly what is truth. So Father, I pray as we endeavor into how to start little plants that we would learn from you. We thank you that you've promised to do this and we thank you in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. All right. So this is a very practical class, but I'll tell you I'm a scared of practical things in a certain sense. So, every seed sown produces a harvest, so it is in the human life. That's from Christ Object Lesson, so I'm not making that up. That's not my opinion. Ellen White tells us in <clears throat> Signs of the Times, March 27, 1893, when the soil has been prepared for the reception of the seed, the sower cast it in and by processes which men cannot control or understand, the seed begins to grow and advance in maturity. Okay, we're going to learn how to plant the seed in some soil. And I can tell you what phytates are and how we use things to wash the phytates off that are sprout inhibitors. And with those sprout inhibitors, we will see a plant germinate. But it's clear from this statement that I'm not going to tell you how a seed germinates. It is a miracle of God. And so, we're going to do our part though, right? We have our part to play in this. We plow the ground, we prepare the ground, we put the seed in the ground. So, let's do our part. We're going to look at some of these things here. Pre-made starts mix, what they are, kind of what they're about. Um, I'm going to show you how I make mine and how you can make your own. Different types of trays that are available that you might use for different types of applications and what I would recommend. Uh, soil blocks, what they're all about. Can you run to the car and grab all my stuff? Um, tools, some of the tools that we use to make it easier, more efficient, quicker, some that would be applicable to farmers. Um, some would not be applicable to a small garden scale, but still, they're interesting. <laughs> um, if you're on a farm scale or a gardening scale, depending on the size of the garden, you may need a starts room. If you're doing things in the winter time, even if you're on a small garden, you're going to need to understand what is, where you can start those things and very early when it's, cold, when it's really cold out or in the fall when it's going to be cold out. You may or even if it's really, really hot out in the summer, you want it maybe a controlled environment for lettuce and things like that that are going to need, or spinach. If you're going to start spinach and transplant spinach, they don't want to be so hot. So there's reasons why even a small gardener would want some sort of controlled space. Um, we can talk about greenhouses and watering systems and how you water and 
different ways you can water depending on your scale. If I don't hit everything, hold your questions, write them down, and, and come ask me, though, because I'm probably, I farm. And so the pictures are going to be of my farm, and they might not be exactly applicable, but you can make it, you, if you want, if you, you can transition it to your situation. We reason from cause to effect, right? So we're going to reason from cause to effect from what a farm looks like to what your garden situation may look like. And then we'll look at the end phase once the plant's up and we want to transplant it. Sound fair? Sound like a good plan? Is that what you're here for? All right. That's what you're here for. I'm here to help you. So from my experience and my research, and I've done a lot of research, and I mean a lot of research, there is no vegan option that is a functional option. I'll say it that way. Um, for a pre-made starts mix that doesn't have some sort of animal product in it. If you're going to use an animal product, Happy Frog has one that has only bat guano in it and I think seabird guano, or not, yeah, seabird guano. Um, when I used that years ago, we would sift it because it has chunks in it. And a lot of times, if you don't have a starts mix, if you have like a potting mix, this is a mistake that people make a lot. All those big chunks of wood that are in a start and a potting mix, they will suck nutrients and trying to break down. And so you want to screen that off and actually get to a real fine product so that it's fluffy and there's not a lot of woody material in it. And what I would do is I would had do half that and half compost because I found that they're really unstable. They really don't usually go as long, they don't really get the plant where I want it to be. And so if you've ever used start mix and it didn't really work for you, that's oftentimes the issue. And you may get the same kind and they're just not, they sit out in the sun when they're wherever you get it from, even the plant food stores, plant stores, you know, they just sit out in the sun and they're cooking and it kills all the bacteria and it's just, they're not always um, the same or always efficient. And so if you're going to do it professionally, you probably want to go to a place like Deerfield Supply or wherever you're at, there's usually some sort of a place that would sell on more of a professional level. And even if you're doing a garden, it's still a better place to go. Same with your seeds. Do not go to Walmart and these places, like the seeds have been sitting there for two years or however long they've been sitting on the shelf. You want to get good high quality seeds. You want to go to places like High Mowing Seed, Fedco Seed, I don't know if I listed all those in this presentation. Um, so if you want to write those down, the audio will be available. You can always go back and get these. Fedco seeds, high mowing seeds, uh, wild garden seeds. Uh, there's a bunch. Um, Baker Creek seeds is here for heirloom seeds. Um, these are some places that are more professional level for small scale, what I would call market gardening agriculture. There's more organic available. They're more careful about whether, whether or not they'll have things and we're going to, if you come to my GMO lecture, I'll tell you why you want to be careful about some of the products that even say organic seeds. There's self-fusion and there's some issues that are going on in the seed industry that you don't really want to buy. And these companies that I just named, Johnny's is one, um, they are, they, one, most of them have taken a safe seed pledge, which means they will not use any GMOs and they're now recognizing that there is a a process of hybridization called cell fusion and then when they do that there's they um, it's 
it's probably more than you need. So anyway, there's this product called Cellfusion and, and they don't carry those seeds. And so you can be sure when you buy there, you're getting good high quality seeds that will actually germinate. Am I talking too fast? Am I loud enough? No. Yeah, no, it's hard for me, sorry. I will do my best to keep the mic by my mouth. Um, yeah, I think that's what I covered that and I didn't even look at it. Um, all right, so let's get started. So, um, this is how I do my starts mix. Um, it's a little bit complicated, but this is for probably more than you would need, but you can do the ratios and just make it whatever size you want. Just make each thing smaller proportionately. And I'll give you some hunches. I changed this. I've been doing this for a while and I change it. And so I'll tell you some of the things that I might recommend that you might mess around with as you're doing it. Um, something to know if you want short stocky plants, one of the things that you want to do, with, no matter whether you're getting stuff from the store or not, you want to make sure that you have calcium and phosphorus. Calcium and phosphorus will make short stocky plants. If you have too much nitrogen and potassium, you will end up with leggy plants. And so you want to make sure that your starts mix has enough calcium and phosphorus in it. Um, now, what does that mean? I'm still experimenting with some of this stuff and I'll show you what I do and what results I've got and you can decide what, how you would proceed forward with that. So this, makes, this recipe makes 100 gallons of veganic start mix. So we call it veganic because it's plant-based and we are, it's basically vegan. People understand that terminology. So we use coconut coir. We don't use, um, I don't even remember the name of it. Um, Peat moss, thank you very much. I knew somebody here would know what I was thinking about. I don't use peat moss because if you get peat moss that is adjusted for its pH, because peat moss is so acidic, when they adjust it, it all comes with a charge, which will be animal-based material. And so if you don't get that, then you get stuff that's highly acidic. And I haven't experimented with it and I haven't used it, but it didn't seem like it would be a good thing to be putting in my starts mix. As I told you, we want calcium to be at high levels and we don't want the calcium trying to mess with that pH level and that acidic peat moss. And so we use coconut coir, which has a seven pH, which means it's balanced. Now, you can decide how you want to do that. We use 35 gallons of the coconut coir we use 20 gallons of perlite. Perlite is basically a puffed rock that gives you water retention and porosity, and it's a light, it's a lightning agent to lighten the mix. Because you want the seeds, the little germinating seeds, you know, you don't want to make it a heavy mix that they can't pop out through. Some of the smaller seeds, especially herbs, flower seeds, things like that that are really small. We use five gallons of vermiculite. It's another type of rock that is puffed and it's a little different and what we do with that is we put a little bit in the starch mix and then I'll show you when we do the seeding I actually cover it with vermiculite and it helps with dampening off. You ever have a start that's growing and you come in and you know it's about this big and all of a sudden you come in and it's just flopped over and it's like rotten at the base? Most likely you've, you've experienced dampening off and so this will help inhibit that and so we put that on as a cover when we cover the seeds. That's what we use to cover the seeds. So that's a little trick. Um, we have at, in our location a compost called Charlie's Compost, which is a 
really high quality compost and so we use this compost in our mix. He uh, tests the CO2 release when he turns it, has it tested for biological activity to make sure that it is not, um, and when you talk about compost, I should mention this to you guys, not all compost is equal. Save, save your questions, write them down, and I will answer them for you either afterwards or at our booth because it's It'll all be posted. All the our all my lectures will be on on the website, at either at Agra or all of the all of the stuff. The PowerPoint. the PowerPoint. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, um, the compost is um, sent off to a lab to test for the biological content, whether it is safe or not. And so, when you get compost. If you're just getting compost, say you're going down to the local dump and they have a compost pile where everybody takes their grass clippings and their, you know, whatever, and you don't know what they're spraying on those glass, grass clippings, first of all, and it could be some pretty bad stuff. And even if it goes to a compost pile, the degradation and the half-life of that stuff can oftentimes, like people will kill their crops. I don't know if you were at Alan's lecture on soil science, but you can definitely mess some stuff up. And so you need to be really careful about your compost. Make your own if you want, be careful though because, and I'm not saying it's hard to make your own, or that's, that's, well, it's pretty hard to find good compost. I'll just say that. I'll look for a long time. And so, but be diligent about trying to find a good compost if you're going to use compost in your garden or in your starts mix. So we get Charlie's compost. We use 35 gallons of that. We do a dry fertilizer blend. And in our dry, I'm going to go, we have videos of each stage of this. My wife, Michelle, was so kind to do this for Instagram, I'm not trying to promote Instagram. Erase Instagram, throw it away, don't use it, but we have one for our business. Um, and she did it and put it up there for everybody. We try to use it as an educational tool and share things that might be helpful to other farmers. So she did the whole thing. We're going to go through it so you can see what exactly how I do all these things. I'm not just going to talk real fast and run through it. I'm going to show you step by step what we do on video so you can see it, and I'll talk about the video while we do it. Tell them I make it all by myself, so. And Michelle does it by herself. It's doable. And she's a, doable. she's a strong farmer lady, so I don't know, but some of you guys might not be able to keep up with her, but I think everybody here can probably make this. It is not the easiest thing in the world, I will tell you. It is time consuming, and it is a little bit inefficient, but I think at the end of the day when I go to the farmer's market, I can feel very comfortable and confident about what I tell my patrons I've done on their behalf. And it's a huge selling point, one, but two, I get to sleep well at night. And this is a ministry, and I want people to understand that we can then have this thing, veganic, what do you mean veganic? Oh, well, let me tell you about what veganic is, and let me tell you about are you vegan? Oh, yeah, I'm vegan. Oh, uh, and you can just see the dialogue that happens from this. So it's a great ministry tool as well. So the dry fertilizer, we're going to do one gallon of kelp mill, one gallon of green sand, one quart of Tennessee brown rock, which I'm not, I'm shifting that. That'll be one gallon of Tennessee brown rock. I changed it. Now I'm changing it back, and she didn't know that. She put that, she put that on there for me. So... Uh, one gallon of peanut flour, so peanut mill, just so you know, when they make peanut mill, peanut mill is not an American product. It is peanuts that are grown generally in South America. They use chemically treated, non-organic peanuts. 
They press them for oil. So they use a surfactant when they're pressing the oil so they can get every bit of the oil out of the shell, peanut, everything that's possibly in there. Then they remove the surfactant. Then you have this peanut mill and they compost it and they call that an organic peanut mill. I did not think that was organic. And so I said, what can I do? And I found this stuff called peanut flour, which they use in food. Um, so like if you get a protein bar or something like that and they want a little extra protein, they'll use this peanut mill, peanut flour in it and it's like super expensive so I called the company and I said hey I'm interested in your product but this is what I'm going to do with it and the lady was like I've never heard of such a thing I said well all proteins can be converted to nitrogen and so when they do theirs they have a nitrogen and they convert it to protein and that's how they tell you the protein content on the package so we just do the reverse engineering of that not, gen not genetically modifying it but we just go backwards and figure out what the nitrogen content is. And depending on which roast you get, whether it's a dark roast or a light roast, it's about six to eight percent, depending. So nitrogen. Then we do a gallon of alfalfa meal, and then we use mycorrhizae in the mix, My mycorrhizae fungi. Um, it is a fungi that has a symbiotic relationship with most plants, not all plants, where you get relationship where your root zone is bigger than your root zone because the the, the fungi, the hyphae, acts as a root for you. So we add that to the, to the mix as well. We blend it all together, and that is the hardest part. <laughs> oh, we do the wet fertilizer. And in the wet fertilizer, I use a little bit of blackstrap molasses. I use a half a cup of blackstrap molasses as a sugar for a feeder for the biology. And we add um, fulvic acid, and we don't do the C90 anymore. I've taken the, the sea salts out of the mix. Um, and then we take a gallon of water, probably less than a gallon of water, just enough to mix it all up so that it's nice and blended all together. Put all that in a big, huge watering trough, pour that on top, and blend it by hand. And that's how we do it, and it's a lot of work. I'll show you what we do. Oh, well, we'll skip that video. So. This is Michelle showing you when we make the coconut coir, we make it so it comes in a brick. Is there anybody here not know what coconut coir is? So not if you know, if you not, do not know. Okay, so coconut coir is the husk off of a coconut, like a big coconut shell. They take all that off and you get the coconut from the store or you get shredded coconut where they break it open and shred it all, right? So this is the actual husk of the coconut. And in this video, you'll see she's going to show you it comes in a brick like that. And so you have to wet it, and it will fill up basically a wheelbarrow. So you get this little bitty brick, you wet it down, and it expands to about a wheelbarrow full. And this is the longest part of the process. Yeah, it's a little bit long to, to wet all the coconut coir. So then we do five-gallon buckets, literally five-gallon buckets. We fill them up. Um, we do seven of the coconut coir. And then we that's what perlite looks like, the white stuff in the buckets on the right there, you're right. So this is, um, I'll just go ahead and go to this one. So you can see how it's a really light material. Is everybody familiar with perlite? Yeah, okay. That's vermiculite. It's kind of a gold silvery type of stuff. So that's her doing the vermiculite. 
Has everybody seen vermiculite before? Yeah? All right. So this is the compost. We do the compost the same way, seven buckets of compost. Now, do you see the compost? It looks like dirt, yeah? That is what we call finished compost. If you get compost and you can still see material all in your compost, and it looks like some old leaves are still in it and sticks are still in it, it is not a finished compost. Finished compost looks like dirt. Um, so more of the compost. Those are the buckets for the compost. And then this is what the, uh, when we do our dry blend of fertilizers, we do it in a five gallon bucket as well. And it just blend it all up by hand. We put it all in there, measure it all out. And because of the peanut meal, it tastes like, it smells like peanut butter. And you kind of contemplate whether or not you're going to have lunch. So that's what that looks like. That's the wet fertilizer there. So we do just a little bit in a bucket so that it can get all mixed up together with a little bit of water. So does that seem reasonable, doable, possible? Yeah, it's not too hard. So again, that's the fertilizer. And then I'll show you how we do things. We, um, we're a farm. I mean, we, we do a lot of produce. I think this year we had a lot of water at the beginning of the year. And we probably threw away 80 flats that we couldn't get in the field just to give you an idea of the volume that we do in the spring. That's just our spring planting. But it was so wet, they went by and we threw them away. So you can get an idea of, of we've, I've never had that happen before, but it was so wet this spring, I literally couldn't go in the field. And so we lost our starts. And this is what our starts generally look like when we are successful at what we do. They look pretty decent. Um, to give you some idea of what this, we use this mix, and that's the results we can get. And I'll show you, you kind of might have noticed the racks that they're on. I'll show you some pictures here later about how we go about doing our whole system and our process. What time is this over? Okay, we've got 30 minutes, all right. So as far as trays go, so people, I've seen people do this in cups, they do it all kinds of ways. Um, a lot of people will use a tray like this, kind of a, a little bit floppy tray, really soft on the bottom, kind of maybe you get a few uses out of it and then it's just trashed. Um, if you're like me and you're super frugal and neurotic, then you can make it last probably five years. But most people use them one or two seasons. Um, I'm, I'm a particular kind of fella. Um, so anyway, that's a 50 cell flat. So a, a flat this size would be for like, for me, the probably tomatoes I would do in this, peppers I would do in this. Um, I would do, I don't know, eggplant. I would probably do summer squash, winter squash in a cell this size, some of the bigger seeds. A lot of people use bigger cells. If you're trying to use a small space and do as much as you can in that small space, it's good to know how small you can go before it's too small. <laughs> um, and so that's a 50 cell tray. This one is a little different. This is called a windstrip tray. It's hard. It's not flop. I've had this for seven years. 
and I don't have to be careful really at all with this tray. And this is a 72 cell flat. You can get these at, from Connor Crickmore at Never Sink Farm. These were not, you weren't able to get these before. And since he talked to the company that stopped making these and now he's making them, they're expensive. But I'll tell you this, if you could come up and you could see it, maybe you can see it, I don't know. But they have slits down each side on, on two of the corners of these. Yeah, I'll just, I'll pass it around. You guys can look at it. And what that does is it air prunes the roots so you don't get root wrap. So if you happen to leave them in the tray longer than you should, and you shouldn't, but if you did, it helps you not get root wrap and it helps the plant thrive better. I think depending on the volume you would buy them in, they're about $7 a piece. Where do you get them? Uh, from Never Sink Farm. They are well worth the investment, I'll say that. And so they've worked really, really well for us. So that's a 72 cell flat. I would do broccoli, kale, collards. I do lettuce in that one even. They do make a 128 cell flat. A lot of people do lettuce in that. But I like to have a little more room for the roots. And I like to pack the roots in there so tight. And so I use this for pretty much everything. Um, we do onions in 128s, things that you don't necessarily, like with an onion, you may start an onion as a seed. You can cut the roots at transplant and transplant it. And onions will do excellent. They'll, they'll actually like that. And so um, some herbs, really, really small seeds, flowers that have really, really small seeds, 128 cells might be more appropriate. Um, so that's... That's where you would get those. These kinds of trays here, the more, these are available at places like Deerfield Supply. Uh, wherever you're at, there's probably a place similar to that. Um, wherever you're at in the world, they're in um, Kentucky, Deerfield Supply is. And they'll ship them to you, but shipping is kind of pricey and stuff. Um, the other thing is, has everybody, does everybody know what a 1020 flat is, a 1020 tray? Has everybody seen these? This is called a 1020 tray. It's 10 by 20. Hence, it's a 1020 tray. And this will hold all your flats, unless you have specialty flats. There are some flats that are different shapes. But generally speaking, this 1020 tray, it'll come solid bottom. This is a solid bottom. And they also make them with holes in the bottom. So if you need drainage, you can get these that will drain. But if you're using this, for instance, like so, and you're doing this in the house and you want to water it and you don't want all that water to drip all over your house, this is a great way to prevent that from happening. But you, uh, you, know, you don't want to overwater and have them sitting in water at the bottom of that. So any questions about tray? Well, questions for the end, sorry. Oh, soil block, yes. Is everybody familiar with the soil blocks? Has everybody seen a soil blocker before? So this little thing is, is you actually press it into the dirt and it will pick up dirt and then you literally will take like this 1020 tray right here and you will press this and you see they have a little dibbler in the bottom. It'll make a little dibble for your seed and they have different size dibblers you can get that pop in and out and that will literally push that soil block out and it will sit there and you seed it and you fill up the tray with those and that is a soil block. That's how you would do a soil block. Soil blocks are good. They're a lot of work. Ugh. 
buy that tray that I'm shipping around because this is a nightmare to me. But <laughs> this will work because it air prunes as well. It has the potential to air prune. If you do them really close together, and usually they are really close together, they can also, the roots will grow into the other soil blocks, then you have to kind of tear them apart. But the idea is, is if you pick them up every day and kind of open them up, the roots will air prune and you won't get, um, your roots won't root wrap. They'll grow to the air and they'll stop. They won't go out into the air. They call that air pruning. So that's what the soil block is good for that. So you can get that at Johnny's. There's several places online you can get those. They sell those at a lot of places. And so if you go online and look up soil blocks, you can find those. They have little mini soil blocks that, that are like basically three quarter, about three quarter inch little cubes. They have a one and a half inch, a two inch, and I think they make it a four inch. That's a big one that you can pot up some of the other smaller ones into. So that is pretty much the choices. Like I said, you can do paper cups and all that kind of stuff, but that is really, might as well invest in some of these things. They're not, some of the stuff is really inexpensive. These are like, I think you can get one of these for like, I don't know, 50 cents or 75 cents or something. And so, you know, relatively, don't go to Home Depot and buy it. They'll charge you an arm and a leg for something like that, but you can buy them for cheap. All right, so this is, Way too dark. Ryan warned me. <laughs> Brother Swain said they were dark in here. Um, this is our workstation. Now, I want to point something out to you. Do you see this? Can you see this door here? That's my front door. And I'm telling you, I'm a farmer. And I'm doing this in my living room. So that's how we started. And we're still there. I'm in the process of building something, but I can only build so much stuff at one time, and so we're still building. I've been there seven years, and we're still building a starts house. So I have all the material, but it takes time. So you can do this too, is my point. If I can do this in my living room, you can do this in your living room. Right? Yes, you can. Let me tell you, I have a, I have a, a plastic from my greenhouse, a, a, a greenhouse plastic that I have, and I put it down on the floor and keep everything from getting on the floor. And this is how we do it. So I'll run, I'll let you see what we do. So this is a dibbler. I made this dibbler out of a piece of plywood and some wire nut locks. And I drilled holes in it. I put the wire, I jammed the wire nut locks in. It presses down onto my flats. And now I have holes for every flat. I don't have to individually dibble those. This is a vacuum seeder. So this has air. And it's actually got holes where all those little seeds I'm rolling around are getting sucked down into the holes. And then I just sort of knock any doubles off. You can see what I'm doing there. Does everybody see that? Is it too dark? It's good. And then I just flip it over. They're all being vacuum seeded up into those holes. And you'll see here I'm going to flip it over onto the tray. Flips right over, slide it in. It has a little lever there that I cut the air off. Tap it, flip it over. The whole seed tray's done. Seeded, over, 72 seeds, bam, like that. Explain to them why you have the headlamp. I have the headlamp on because I'm partially hard seeing here. And so if I put light on it, I can see it better. So I can see those little seeds. That's part of the aging process for me. So, um, so that's the dibbler, that's the seeder. Um, one thing you want to do, do not be cheap on your labeling. When you seed something, label it 
Every time, date, you want to put the date on it so you know when you seeded it. What did you see? Don't do something you know what it is, but no one else is going to know what it is. Don't write it in a way that you won't be able to read it in a month when you're like going, what, that's green something. Like you want to know what's in that flat so that you can plant it appropriately, right? And this is what I do. It's just me and my wife. And so, but this is the rule. Date, what is it, and your initials. Because if something goes wrong, I want to know if it's my fault or your fault. <laughs> no, I don't want to make it, her feel bad about it. I want to remedy the problem. What did we do wrong? Like, why did this not work? We want to solve the problem. And so we need to be able to go back and kind of go, okay, you did that. What, what were you doing? Did you maybe seed one? You weren't paying attention. You were talking to somebody. Oh, our friend came over and helped us one day. And they did it, and they did it too deep. And so they're all germinating at different depths and things like this. So you want to label them in a way that you can track what is actually going on in that tray. It's, it's actually really important to do that. If you do, say you do a flat, and you're going to have half this and half that, right? I'm going to do some green curly kale and some red kale in the back. Label it in the front. Label that one in the front. Go ahead and put a label on both sides of that tray on that each section. I'm not saying you need to label every cell, but you know, the beginning and the end of the process for that particular variety. Say you, you run out of seeds and you got three left at the end and you're like, well, I'm not wasting that dirt and all that space. I'm going to put label all three of those, you know, so that there's no question when you get to the end of the process that you know what is in that cell. Does that make sense? I promise you it's worth it. Those things are like, I don't know, 20 bucks for over a thousand of them or something. It's just not worth skimping on that. Um, lights. Uh, you can use LED lights. You can use, you know, shop lights for your starts. You do not have to get UV lights and all the super, super expensive lights. It's maybe better, but I don't have any issues really to speak of. You want them to be close. When you do your lights, you want them as close to the flat as possible. Once they germinate, you want to back it off a little bit so that the light is more evenly dispersed across the whole flat. I'm talking about early spring starts here, if they're inside. Otherwise, you would want them outside, if at all possible. If you have weather that is conducive to them being in the sun, the sun is by far the best lighting system. You will never be the sun with your starts or anything for that matter. And so if you're buying hydroponic stuff that's grown inside under lights, just don't buy it because it's dead anyway and they don't really have any nutrient value that's functional. So um, racks. So we'll look at racks later. We'll have a picture of the rack system that we use and you can decide if that might work for you. This is a germination chamber. Uh, this is getting more and more popular. A germination chamber basically creates a certain temperature and a certain humidity that seeds would like to germinate at. So they don't dry out and they germinate really, really quickly and you get really, really uniform germination and they're not staggered over, you know, different, you don't want your seeds germinating over a two week period. You want them all germinating at the same time so you can transplant them at the same time, right? And so there's things these germination chambers and you can make them really easy. You make a box, you box it in with some just like uh, cell foam, you know what I'm talking about, that pink or blue stuff you get at the Home Depot, two inch, we can get probably a one inch thick. You box that in, put it all in there in the bottom. You can do something as simple as like a, you take a crock pot, fill it with water, put a temperature sensor, you can get temperature sensors you plug it into to turn it on and off based on the temperature and the little probe that'll tell the kick that, that switch on and off. 
and it will literally turn off when it's 75 degrees and, it, and once it gets down to 70 degrees it'll kick back on and the water will boil and it'll humidify it and keep it warm and it'll be a nice regulated temperature. They're not hard to make. You got to have time to make these things and you got to have some, you know, little resources, but if you're at all mechanically inclined, it's a really good tool to get even germination and really really good germination. Um, so these are kind of some of the ways we've done starts. So this is the label. What I tell you, date, what is it, initials, LL, that's me. So we seeded these, and the way we do our onions, we do them different now. We do them actually in individual cells now, but we used to do it where we would just spread them a certain, I forget what ounce it was, I had a certain amount of ounces that I would put down. These are actually leeks, they're not actually onions. Um, and we would uh, spread it, they germinate, and then when we transplant them, we just pull them out and we cut the roots. And actually with leeks and onions, you actually want to cut the tops when, they're, when they get their first bit of leaf, when they get about this tall. Just for your information, you cut it off and it forces new growth and they'll get thicker. That way you can get thicker onion starts and thicker um, leek starts. So you would just cut that right off with some scissors and then let them grow back out. Maybe you can do that two times, three times before you transplant them and they'll be some, like as thick as your pinky. They'll be much more substantial starts. Um, so anyway, that's what our onions would look like and we did those in the 1020 trays. All we did was put some dirt in the bottom, sprinkle the seeds on the top, kind of cover them lightly and that's the kind of germination you get. So this is our rack system. So I just buy these racks from Home Depot. I put them on casters so they have wheels. You can see the wheels down here. We do two just regular shop lights, two lights in each one. So we have four lights total and we, I do uh, daylight lights. If you want to do two, you can do two different kinds to get more spectrum of light spectrum. I've done that before. I don't see so much of a difference, so I just do the one. Um, so anyway, that'll do four trays, one, two, three, four trays on each one, and you got one, two, three, four, five, so 20 flats per tray. It's vertical. It makes it really efficient if you have it in your house um, or in a garage or wherever you might want to put something like that um, if you have to do it in a, in a small area. You can get a lot of starts in a small area. Does that help? Okay, so this is kind of dark, but this is what our living room looks like in the spring. <laughs> we usually have about 120 or so, something like that starts going in our living room. And I'll show you, this is, this is me working on, you can see this is the cell, um, what do they call it, uh, cell insulation, it's like a cell foam insulation. Um, and I'm building our starts house right here. This is a room that we will have that is where we will put all those racks and they'll live in there. And it'll be a small room that's heated off of our wash station. Does everyone know what a wash station is? That's where I was doing all the mixing. It's where we, um, we have a, a barn for all intents and purposes with a concrete floor that when we harvest, all the harvest comes in there and goes into water and then we put it in our walk-in cooler. And so this is off the side of that building and it will be tempered so in the winter time it'll be heated and in the summertime it'll be cooled and it'll act like a room for our tomato crop where you don't want to put those in the fridge but you also don't necessarily want them in the 90 degree heat of the summer we'll put them in there at about 55 60 degrees and it'll be a nice room for tomatoes because that's a high dollar crop 
So this is how I started when we first bought our farm seven years ago. This little Quonset hut that the Dealey's, everybody here know Matt and Deidre Dealey? When they moved to the Black Hills and took over the work at the Black Hills that I was doing, they packed their car with all kinds of their van, their truck as a 24-foot rider truck, packed it full of all their stuff. Well, they didn't pack it full of all their stuff. They left a bunch of stuff there, and they packed a bunch of stuff in there to give to me to help me start my farm. Isn't that a blessing, right? When you step out in faith, people just show up and they say, we, we want to support what you're doing. And he gave me this caterpillar tunnel, and that became my starts house. And so you can see our little tray, our table back there, and this is me outside doing the starts our first year. And so this is me inside there with the starts in the little caterpillar tunnel. So you don't have to have everything. I mean, when I started, the very first... I was going to say, talk about the moisture of the dirt. Sure, sure. The, when we started, when I started farming in Seattle, me and three people put $500 together, $1,500. We bought seeds and start stuff. We put them in flats. We had cinder blocks on an asphalt road in the back of this farm and we took it and put a piece of plastic over top of those cinder blocks and cinder blocks on top of those cinder blocks to hold that plastic in place and that's where we put our first starts. I'll tell you this, that year, three people, $1,500, we grossed $83,000 on that farm first year. So, you don't have to have a lot. You have to have a willing heart and you have to be willing to go do it. And then from there you can build. It doesn't always work that way. I moved to this farm, everything turned, I planted about, I don't even know, thousands of brassica plants that spring. They all turned purple and didn't grow another leaf. I made $4,000. So, it doesn't always work the way I just said. So the Lord humbles us too. I say that to encourage you because me and my wife do full-time farming. She quit her job and we full-time farm, that's all we do, on that same piece of ground that made $4,000 after I planted probably $80,000 worth of crops in it and got $4,000 back. And we didn't have any money. We came from self-supporting work with no money. The Lord provides. You just put your foot in the water. You just do what you're called to do. You do what He told us to do, and you don't have any choice anyway, so just go do it, and He will pay for it. It's His problem. It's not your problem. You do your part. You don't do your part. It's your fault. You do your part. He'll take care of you. You don't have to worry about it not working. And if it doesn't work, you needed to learn something. So just get back up. You're going to get up seven times, right? Right? Okay. This is, a little, this is our starts house that we have. So once it's warm enough to bring all that stuff out of our house in the spring, we go into this greenhouse here. And this is our starts house when I was building it. Um, it's really nice to have ventilation in a starts house because you really don't want it to get overly hot in a starts house and it will get hot even in the early spring. It will get really hot in there. Um, so we have a roll up here that we can vent out the top on this particular greenhouse. We got these greenhouses at an auction. I paid $5,000. This greenhouse is 25 feet wide by 75 feet long. This greenhouse back here that you see, that's 120 foot by 30 foot. $5,000 I paid for both of those. I had to buy plastic and a few things to you know, after I took it down from the place that the auction was. But, you know, the Lord provides. He makes a way. So that's our start house. This is what it looks like inside. I have little tables like this that we set all the flats on. I do little hoops in them because that way I can cover them with floating row cover and things like that. If it's going to have a cold night, I can put a little blanket over them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Am I helping you guys? Yes. Am I going too fast? No. Okay. It's 11.36, so I've got a rush here. 
All right, so this is how we watered for years. And I knew this was totally inefficient, but this is our resources. This is what we had. So I would hand water. You can see how many flats are there, right? That's a lot of food. And um, we would hand water that pretty much every day. You you take about two hours every day, maybe twice a day on really hot days. And so it is time consuming when you're trying to manually manage that much food. And so this is what they look like. You can kind of see how it works. You can see what we've done here. You see this? That's a sprinkler now. And so now we have an overhead sprinkler. It takes me about two seconds to turn a knob that has a timer that turns itself off. Sooner or later, we'll have it on a time system that I don't even have to do anything. I'll tell you a story though. I had a friend, all automated, beautiful, wonderful greenhouse, power went out, everything died. So don't get too reliant on technology. By the sweat of your brow. No, it doesn't say that, you know. By the sweat of your face. My forehead sweats easy, my face does not. <laughs> Keep that in mind. So that's what they look like. In this greenhouse, we have 25 feet of it that we do our starts, and then these are peppers in the back. So we have multi-purpose use of that greenhouse. All right, so this is me, and you can't probably, this is dark. This is the first time we turned the water system on, and we're Instagramming again, unfortunately. Or fortunately, if you're out there in the world, and could be useful to you. But all these little things, and you can't hardly see it, so it's not really, as you can kind of see, see all the water? There's just water for us. And everything gets watered. That was one of the best things we did. That saved us an immense amount of time. So if you have a farm or you're thinking about farming, that is, should be high on your list. Time is, is very valuable on a farm. So this is how we start, right? We have all those starts, everything looks good. I'm gonna tell you something. If you're planting a start that's over six inches tall, you have missed your window of opportunity. If you're planting tomato plants that have fruit on them, if, they have, if they're over six inches tall, if they've got flowers on them, you are missing your whole first set. That is the most important set. And so you do not want to plant plants past their time. You are missing, that's, that's the, you're already setting them back. And this is the start. You never want to set it back at the very onset. As soon as you can get those little plants in the ground, they have enough root system to hold that, that thing in place. That's when you want to put your starts out. If you're doing it past that, you're going to miss so much economic opportunity in those first bracts and those first, whether it's your cucumbers, your, your what, cantaloupe. You know, you can have cantaloupe set. It's going to set way out here now because your first blossoms have already fallen off. They couldn't, they didn't have the, the, the soil, they didn't have the nutrient bank to set fruit, they dropped flower, right? So you want all that initial fruit onset right away. So we used to do this, you can see this is brutal. I mean, we planted a hundred and whatever, I think in our onions, Brother Swain's been out there with us planting onions. He uh, is brutal, huh? And Faith, where's Faith? There's Faith. She's planted onions on my farm too. We do them at about six inch spacing. That's 200 per row, four rows. It's a lot of onions. It takes a long time. It's brutal. And so that's how we start it. I'm listening to sermons there. See my earphones. It's a good time to, to listen to the Lord. You can get the object lessons from the ground right in front of you. This is another thing. This is Chris Holland. He just bought a farm. 
He used to work down at Wildwood. He was helping them at their farm. He just bought a farm down in Tennessee. He worked with me. And this is what we would do once we got a little bit better off, went a little faster. All these little efficiencies will help you. So this is transplanting, I think this is broccoli maybe. A little easier on the back. Yeah. So this is our farm and what we do on our farm. Looks fun, huh? All right. Let's say a quick prayer to close this out. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are able to share our experiences. Lord, I pray that you would bless the efforts that people put forth. I pray that as they put their hand to this plow, that you would do what only you can do, that you would fill in for our deficiencies, that you would fill in for our ignorances and our lack. I pray that anything that I said that was not of a benefit or wouldn't be true is not according to your, your, um, your laws, that you would cover that and that you would fill in for my deficiencies. Lord, I pray as we do this that we recognize that we are brothers and sisters on this journey. And ultimately, all this is to grow as in a knowledge of who you are and that the side effect is that we have the opportunity to labor with those in our communities, our family, our friends, and that we can make a living doing it and that we can show them a better way, that we ourselves would see a better way, that we might glorify you and be fit for your kingdom, I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.